my friends, the great experiment. Strange new world. Trick, trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick, trick. Two people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star trick, trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Wow. Another episode of Strange New Worlds. The last of our uh, run of uh, screeners for a little while, I guess. Oh no, I wasn't thinking about that. You're right. Now you're stressed. End of the screener line. <laughs> Before we get into the actual episode... I was noticing that there's a little asteroid thingy about where Vatic's ship was in the logo. I've been wondering about that. What is that thingy? What's the deal? I can't really make it out. I can't either. I would like to know more. So to be more clear, if you're kind of new to the show, all of these new Star Trek shows recently started having like a Star Trek logo that plays before the episode starts, which I guess... Um, establishes that we are in the universe of Star Trek and they do a little variation the Lower Decks one has a, a God Koala the Picard Season 3 one had Vadek's ship the Shrike visible in there and before that his mom <laughs> yeah there's something creeping around in the background of one of the, the shots in the Strange New World Season 2 logo, but I don't think we know what it is yet. That can't be nothing. It can't, right? It's got to be something. It looks icy, right? Like, kind of like a bluey-whitey kind of thing. I wonder how many different versions of this they auditioned. You know, the whole, like, brand of Star Trek pre-roll that I think Star Wars has done really well on their TV programming, right? Like, the yeah. Star Wars pre-roll for them are, like, all those helmets Right. Shuffled. Yeah. And then the logo plays. Yeah, and they'll have like a helmet that is unique to right. that particular series be one of the helmets. I can't breathe in this thing. I wonder if you could do that to Star Trek and just have it be faces of Star Trek in that way. Yeah, or, or like interesting, noteworthy Nuck from different <laughs> costumes in Star Trek. <laughs> I think there's an adult video company that does that. <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly white with a little bit of blue to to my eye. Do you think it's potentially Hammer's birdie? I mean, they've already done the body thing before with Picard, yeah. so <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's definitely not Ramon, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Call me a weird Star Trek fan, but I just love seeing bodies float in space. <laughs> That's just me. That's just something that I enjoy. Call me crazy. Call me a perfect. I love that shit. I love the silly energy we're having in today's show open. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we decided to do this. We we decided to have an hour and a half of business meetings right before recording. And I was about to say our Marin is going to suck because we're in, a, we're in the wrong headspace. But clearly we're in the right headspace. Ben, our show is like uh, in a capsule waiting to be opened, and all I did is I took my hand and I wiped the business away from the foggy glass. <laughs> Look at what's inside. A bunch of laughs. You're saying that our show is a, a $5 carnival guitar guy waiting to be thought out? He absolutely is. <laughs> well, I might just get to like this place. You know what? That guy's one of the faces of Greatest Gen. If you were going to do the pre-roll oh, yeah. shuffle of all the faces... 
<laughs> Maybe that's a better thing to <laughs> hypothesize about. Uh-huh. You got $5 carnival guitar guy. A couple of pit woofies. You've got Nuck mm-hmm. from a whole bunch of places. <laughs> One of the things I love most about our tours is the work you put into that video pre-roll. Yeah. Maybe that's the one for the, the upcoming one is like the Star Wars style shuffle of Nuck. Justice Nuck. <laughs> Dick Valet Nuck. That guy who turned into a ball of energy Nuck. There's so much of it. Oh, man. Well, uh, I want to get into this episode, Adam. All right. Enough business talk. Yeah. Yeah. Enough of this stuffy. Stuffed shirt shit. Let's talk about season two of Strange New Worlds, episode six, Lost in Translation. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Unknown. Black alert. Unknown. Black alert. And we open on a gorgeous shot of Scarlett Johansson's butt. (laughs) I'll always wonder what uh, Jim Kirk whispered into Ahura's ear at the end of this episode. (laughs) We may never know. Yeah. (laughs) So we start with an Uhura's log about Bannon's Nebula, which is where the entrepreneur is today. It is a stellar nursery and also a place where there's lots of deuterium. So the Federation is setting up a deuterium mining operation, a station that has like, it almost looks like a big net that they've like thrown out into the nebula to, to gather this critical gas. It's galactic prenatal fluids <laughs> that we're harvesting here, huh? When you think about it that way, mm, yeah. we're in a nursery. I've seen a lot of nebulas, but this one's special. No wonder they get in so much trouble stirring up the amniotic the way they do. I know. What's the deal with Pike's badge and the black background? Is Do you get a different badge when you're fleet admiral? Yeah. Or fleet captain, I mean. I was wondering. And then there's also the two little notches at the bottom of the circle. I love the idea that based on your role for a mission, you might go through a little bit of a uniform change. Get a little new jewelry. (laughs) That's exciting. Dress for the mission you have. (laughs) Not the mission you want. Right. So, yeah, Uhura is kind of burning the candle at both ends. She says she hasn't really slept in like 10 nights. Yeah. Pike is dealing with this a lot better than our conversations with Wendy, which have taken the same tone. (laughs) I don't know how much longer I can do this. Yeah. (laughs) You guys are are really putting a bunch of stuff for me to edit, like more than I can handle, more than I want to handle. More than anyone could handle (laughs) reasonably. Right. We got a mention of Chief Kyle in this. That was nice. No, not Chief Kyle. He's so mean. I thought Kyle might be off the show, but it doesn't sound like it. I thought they replaced Chief Kyle with a different transporter asshole. I know. But evidently, he's still around. Also worth mentioning, we are near Gorn space. Yeah. There's some speculation that Starfleet selected Bannon's Nebula because of its proximity to where the Gorns are, and they're trying to build infrastructure to help in a war effort should one become necessary. I can't remember another Star Trek episode where right up top, either in the log or conversationally, someone brings up an ominous threat that does not appear that episode. 
<laughs> I thought this was really deft of the episode to do, to just sort of present that danger and then not give it to us. Yeah. Because that was running in the back of my head the entire time. Like, at what point of greatest desperation are they going to choose to arrive to totally fuck shit up? I know. And, like, you wonder, are the things that are going wrong in this episode ultimately caused by the Gorns? Or... I thought the same thing. Who knows? No one asks that either, which I thought was weird. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they didn't want to keep ringing the bell. Right. And, you know, because at a certain point, it does become Chekhov's Gorn. Mm. Indeed. Indeed. That was like one of the greatest puns I've ever done on the show. <laughs> You've done a lot of great puns. <laughs> I'd say that one's fine. Wow. <laughs> Hashtag justice for Chekhov's Gorn. I don't know, Ben. I just hold you to a higher standard than you hold yourself. Okay. Wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> so they decide to go on a refueling run while they're here. And did we say that Pike is in command of the station and also the Farragut while they're here in town? And all the little shuttles, anything that constitutes a fleet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All of the enemas. It's a really tiny little fleet. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are into that. The problem with this refinery is that it's not operational. And what good is that? <laughs> what do you think Pike's rating is on Wikifleet? <laughs> <laughs> what is the rating system on Wikifleet? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've uh, run out of foot fetish specifics. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> to say any more would be telling on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything about that. That's somebody else's lifestyle, not mine. You don't often see Pike disappointed like this. Disappointed like a guy who's pulled up to the service station and there's a paper bag over the nozzle. <laughs> this deuterium mining station is not operational. No. And the mission is to get it going. But while they're talking about how exactly to do that, Ahura hears something. Yeah. And she tries to put it on the speakers, but by the time she hits those buttons, the sound is gone. And she can't even find it. She doesn't know what it was. And she kind of cuts Pike off and says, I'm going to go do a full diagnostic on the comms array before he can even ask her what's going on. Mm -hmm. So off she goes down to one of the nacelles where she's actually doing something that I think you and I both do a lot around the house, which is watch a YouTube about how to like DIY a home renovation fix. This is so great. This is the only way I can get anything done at home. It's the only way I know how to use any of my tools. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really nice to see Hemmer again, right? Yeah. So this is a video that she made with Hemmer where he walked her through a full diagnostic of the comms array, which for some reason, I guess the antenna cluster is in the nacelle or something like that. So some of this has to be done in person in a nacelle. The nacelles are sort of the rabbit ears of the ship, right? That makes sense. I guess so, yeah. Does that mean the struts that they're on are like bendable, can be like re-angled if you need to? I think that would be dangerous to the person using that angled ladder <laughs> to go up there. Yeah. Well, Pelia catches Uhura up here and kind of uh, asserts some dominance in the space. What the hell are you doing inside my nacelle? She talks about how, you know, Hammer studied under her at the academy 
and uh, you know they're talking about you know what Uhura is up to. It's very awkward, and this is a feeling that we get in other crew people's interactions with Pelia throughout this episode. It's awkward because Pelia feels as though she has not really been welcomed aboard the ship by Uhura. Like Uhura has never talked to her. And it becomes clear by the end of the scene that that is because Pelia is there occupying a space that was once occupied by somebody that was very special to her. This scene and every other scene like it made me appreciate Pelia more. Like, up until now, her character development has been the person who says the quiet part out loud, who just, like, bursts into a scene and is a little bit of a chaos agent that way. She's been the Cosmo Kramer of Strange New Worlds. Yeah, but when it comes to something, like, serious and emotional and weighty, that part of her character is paid off in this episode. Yeah. Because she's able to do this. This isn't just a sensitive person lashing out. Like, if you didn't know anything about Pelia, you'd be like, that's really confrontational, and maybe these people are still hurting. So maybe... <laughs> uh inviting the welcome wagon onto yourself is a bad look. But right. I think in the context of everything else we know about her, like I, I really like the order of character operations with her. I do too. So we learned that there have been quote unquote organizational difficulties aboard this interstellar gas station. And the entrepreneur and the Farragut are basically here to whip the crew of this station into shape because... They've been behind schedule. They're fucking shit up. The station is not getting put together and brought online fast enough. And part of why uh, everybody's here is to provide like additional engineering manpower. But part of it is also that Una Chin Riley is a great leader of teams and can whip these people into shape and get it going the way it's supposed to. Mm, nothing beats cleaning up somebody else's mess. Right. She's a good four person, you know? <laughs> she's a good leader of people. And her attention to detail that we've known about from Jump is going to be a great asset here, especially when paired with Pelia, who does not seem to possess those same qualities. <laughs> yeah. Pelia's weird, like, hoarder tendencies. Yeah. <laughs> Indicate a mind that is organized in a slightly different manner. Yeah. Uhura hears this sound again as she's getting on an elevator, and this time it's clear that it's not coming through her, like, Bluetooth earpiece. She's, like, trapped in this elevator, and the camera <laughs> spins around, and Zombie Hammer is staring down at her. Zombie Hammer is going to be a hit in the cosplay community, I think. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Because the makeup department did an excellent job with him. What a terrifying person. And what's crazy is like his already white eyes, nearly unchanged. Like you don't need <laughs> to change the eyes yeah. to make this guy scary. Hemmer was already really scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we go that into the theme. And after the theme, we're back in Six Bay where Mabenga is giving Ahura the news. She's hallucinating, and fortunately, it's just because of an exposure to poison. Yeah. That's all it is. It's just deuterium exposure. Would you look at that? 
I love the ellipsis of this edit. There's no like haunted house sequence in this moment. It's just like, oh, I must have a medical problem and I will go straight to six bay is the implication. Right. This feels like a workplace safety issue. Yeah. And when you're working in the nacelle of a starship, <laughs> you're going to want to wear OSHA approved PPE or personal protective equipment. We're using a positive pressure air system, <laughs> and we've taped off this section of the starship so, <laughs> so the contamination won't blow into the other nacelle. When working in a nacelle without this equipment, you risk hallucinating a zombie attack from a beloved deceased coworker and friend. <laughs> Why was that coworker deceased? Probably because you weren't following the OSHA regulations to begin with. My zombie friend, Roger, has come in from the garden with a pair of shears <laughs> attempting to kill me. <laughs> that got dark. <laughs> Roger's not dead, is he? <laughs> oh, but he's like very sick, right? <laughs> Anyways, uh, she hasn't been sleeping, and that's another big issue. Yeah. That they discuss. I, I love uh, Mbenga's like, uh, look, it's just poisoning from this thing you've been exposed to. You should consider yourself lucky you aren't suffering from the headaches or the blurred vision or the nausea. <laughs> it's yeah. just sleep deprivation. Yeah. You need to rest. Down on the station, we get a little confrontation between Pelia and Una, and they are not getting along because Pelia thinks that the issues with the station may be deeper than just the maintenance logs are a little out of whack and the crew hasn't been led very effectively. Pelia thinks that there's stuff going wrong on a systemic issue and Una doesn't want to hear that shit and she just orders Pelia to like get the station up and running as fast as possible. Do you feel like with the way these shots on the station are composed combined with the general crucifix shape of the station. <laughs> that this is another one of those Event Horizon inspirations because this ship is dark it is. and it feels haunted. And when you frame your characters with like this vast darkness above them, it feels oppressive and scary. Yeah. That's how I felt watching these scenes. Yeah. It's weird because it's like the opposite of alien where it's claustrophobic and scary yeah. it's like like the openness makes you feel exposed in these scenes exactly yeah it's a really cool environment that they designed for the inside of this station i have to say right una and pelia are having an argument that you and i tend to have which is you're optimistic and wanting to do fun things, and I am the pessimist of the two of us going like, <laughs> that's too hard, it's too much effort, and we shouldn't do it. <laughs> it really makes you wonder how they're going to work together at all. Yeah. Somehow, something happens at the end of the day. <laughs> we cut back over to Ahura, who seems to have gotten a great big promotion in quarters. Yeah. When she stopped being a cadet, right? She doesn't yeah. have other cadets living in bunks next to her, jacking off into a giant lava lamp. What are y'all doing? She's got her own bed, and it's like a big bed. It's not It's not in a cubby with a sliding wall. Oh, this, is, this sounds great. It sounds really great. Stretching out like that. Yeah. Always being able to find the cool spot. 
all available. She's been ordered to bed by the doctor, and she's not having a super easy time getting to sleep. And when she does, she like wakes up in a dream in her sleepy time clothes on a field, and there's like a big plume of smoke rising over a hill. It's not a terribly terrifying image. Like it's a very beautiful field. Like there's some smoke there, but it doesn't feel threatening per se. And it's a little unclear what this is an image of and why it's so upsetting to her. But it was all a dream. I used to read Black Smoke magazine. (laughs) Ahura and Hammer up in the limousine. (laughs) We don't get to see this setting for very long. You know, like smoky golf course. That's where she's at. (laughs) Cut over to the transporter room and it's it's Jim Kirk incoming and Sam is there to greet. And this is a reminder of how much I love their relationship. And I'm thinking this in this scene, like, God, I love them as brothers. They seem really good. Yeah. (laughs) It seems like everything's great with Jim and Sam. I mean... Yeah, like I I don't have a brother, but I know that uh, brothers often have a public relationship and a private relationship that are two very different things. Yeah. And I sort of wondered about that in this because they go from a lot of like slapping each other on the back and feeling good for each other to a conversation in the bar that gets a little stabby. Wow. Sensing some hostility there, Sam. Do you think this is a show that wants us to take Jim's side against Sam? Or is that just a personal feeling? Because I do not understand Sam's argument. It's not like Jim is getting promoted at him right? or at their father, who is still alive as a way to remind us that this is not the Abrams right. movie universe happening here. Can we know that's the worst. Yeah, George Kirk looms over this conversation in a very interesting way. George Kirk wasn't a captain of a starship for 30 seconds. (laughs) He doesn't dare either of his kids to do better. (laughs) I didn't want to not like Sam, but I didn't like Sam here. Because there's some kind of professional jealousy because Jim has now been made the youngest first officer in Starfleet history. What did you think you were going to do, Sam? You're a xenoanthropologist. You think you're going to be a big star in Starfleet <laughs> for that? I mean, it's not impossible. Like, Starfleet has famous scientists in it. Sure. I mean, Michael Burnham is slash was a xenoanthropologist primarily, right? Right. Among her many skills. Yeah. I think it's an interesting scene because it is playing with our pre-loaded admiration of Kirk as a character. You know, like Star Trek can count on us having a lot of feelings about Kirk and, you know, wanting success for Kirk. And it has put Sam Kirk on this ship as a character that we kind of like and, you know, (laughs) feel like Spock was too mean to when he made a little mess on the desk when they were having a McLaughlin group. Issue one, clean your mess. You see this in other areas of modern life even, and I'm, I guess I'm thinking specifically of sports, where like, do you want to be the best player on a middling team, or do you want to be on the best team? Right. And Sam kind of argues for like, I'm on the enterprise. Like, I'm on the best team. Yeah. 
And you might be the captain of the football team over there or whatever, but... But we go to nationals every year. Right. Yeah, exactly. When Sam fucks off, Spot comes over to clean up after this fucking asshole. (laughs) (laughs) The bar doesn't give away coasters, meaning little rings are left on every table in the venue. (laughs) A coaster is something you place under a chilled (laughs) beverage to catch the condensation. These can be printed with logos of the local establishment so that guests can take them home and remind them of how much they enjoy attending your venue. This is unsealed wood! You're making rings everywhere! Do you not respect wood? (laughs) You're gonna warp somebody! Over on the station, Pelia has found something deep in the fuel distribution system that is wrong, and they discover this because Una is trying to turn the whole station on and finds that it won't turn on because a key system has been taken offline without clearance by Pelia. So she's getting ready to crawl up Pelia's ass when Pelia drops a wooden shoe on the floor, and she's like, I found that in the fuel distribution system. Hence the word And Una like holds a hand to her nose and she's like, oh, that smells like deuterium. (laughs) She holds it closer. Yeah. I was wondering at this moment in time if we were going to get an update on Spapple. Mm -hmm. Spapple's playing 3D chess and Spock plays pretty fast and he moves pretty fast because he wants to know if they're official yet. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he would like to report that to the proper uh, HR authorities. <laughs> yeah, there is anything to tell. <laughs> Such a funny way to make a relationship official. <laughs> Doesn't it seem soon? It does. Like, I didn't compare the star dates between the last episode and this one, but it kind of seems fast. Oh, yeah. Spock measures his star dates from the base. I like how Nurse Chapel says it's fast without saying it by painting a pretty artful picture of what new love can be like, especially in the workplace. Yeah. And I really got on her level immediately. Like, don't kill the cat. Don't look at the cat. (laughs) Ignore the cat. Yeah. Just enjoy that there is a cat, potentially. I mean, these are things that I do naturally. Just mm-hmm. ignore the cat. Don't pet the cat. Mm-hmm. The cat is not a concern to me. Yeah. It's an elaborate metaphor involving Wittgenstein's banana. <laughs> what the hell did you just eat? A banana? That is uh, the last we hear about this relationship in this episode. But I think it was key that they put it in. Mm-hmm. We couldn't have an episode with them participating without a mention of where they were at. Ahura interrupts them, and what's she doing out of bed is a thought that both (laughs) Spock and Nurse Chapel have, because, I mean, to both of them, she's kind of been ordered there. Right. But she's confident she doesn't have deuterium poisoning, and that's because the sounds she's been hearing first began on the bridge. Right. And unless there's a deuterium leak on the bridge, that doesn't exactly add up. Where were you on that in Benga? Like... The first time she heard the sound, she was on the bridge. You can't trace it back to the time she went to the nacelle. 
it's a really interesting scene of professional characters not listening to themselves, right? Because right. Chapel and Spock aren't trying to hear Ahura because she didn't obey their order to, you know, take bed rest or whatever. And Ahura's frustrated because she's not feeling hurt either. She's got new information that's come to light, man. <laughs> And she's like, this is Star Trek. Why don't you believe the weird thing I'm telling you is happening to me? Like, that's another part of this scene that's baked in. Like, shouldn't you always believe Star Trek? Yeah. And then when they give her the manila envelope with the severed toe in it, she's like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) What does it have to do with anything? It's just the stress talking, man. I don't even wear green toe polish. (laughs) She goes over to the bar and immediately Jim Kirk starts trying to mack on her. She shuts him the fuck down. But he wasn't trying to turn it on either. This is an unnecessary shutdown. You just look like you could use a friend. Do you think he was? I think he was. (laughs) God, I guess you just can't be nice to people in bars anymore. Yeah. Guess you can't do that. Everything's not a hit. People can make conversations without it being a hit. She goes out of the hallway and it's immediately a haunted house scene. Hallways full of deads and it's all shadowy and spooky. And evil Hura comes out of one of the shadows, starts swinging a knife at her and... She hits on Kirk in a whole other way. Yeah. I mean, Kirk was just in the ball-kicking machine in the bar, left the bar, and got into the face-punching machine (laughs) in the corridor. He is really cool about this. Especially with the ranks involved, and I'm really glad they brought that up. Like, yikes. She could be in a shitload of trouble, but he's like, not only not jumping down her throat. He's also like, hey, let's not go to Six Bay because then somebody will have to put this in a report and that's not going to be great for you. But also his awareness of her hallucinations makes that kind of a strange decision too. Yeah. But crucially, he believes her. Crucially, he believes her and crucially, he does get invited back to her quarters. So. (laughs) Oh, man. Is that what this is? (sighs) It was hard for me to escape thinking that that was potentially what this was. I'm so naive. I just didn't see that as part of this. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't do anything she doesn't want him to do when they get back there. Right. So, to his credit. Kirk's like, yeah, I used to huff deuterium out of a rag in the academy, and uh, (laughs) I got a lot of the benefits, but I didn't get the hallucinations you're talking about. That's weird. That must be like a dosing thing. Right. Right. Somebody that's had a, a plenty of a dose of deuterium is the saboteur who they find down on the station. And uh, this guy is, is really freaked out. Yeah. Is, is this real life? This is Ramon. He's having a bit of a moment right now. <laughs> he needs to be taken to Six Bay. Yeah. So uh, taken to Six Bay, he is. And this is when we get that red alert, right? Like, and it, it's just Uhura in her quarters and red alert starts and she like races up to the bridge. We're not given any, this is real, this this is not real filmmaking stuff to tip us off at the beginning of this. No, and I think one of the qualities of this particular hallucination that makes it 
so scary is the sound design of it. Like, the bangers and how they sound when you're in her quarters sound so distant and huge. Yeah. By the time she gets to the bridge and the screen cracks and everyone's sucked out into space, like our lifelong ambition, (laughs) every sound of this scene I thought was impeccable. It was so good and scary. They did such a great job. It really was. And you could be forgiven for not realizing that this is a hallucination until she snaps out of it. Like it's not played for like kind of haunted house energy the way some of the other ones have been. But it was all a dream. Sucked out the crack bridge view screen. (laughs) She again is not supposed to be at work. So when she kind of wakes up from this hallucination, Pike is like, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be on medical leave, are you not? You wear a uniform to bed? Yeah. That's real try-hard shit. Yeah. These uh, hallucinations are catching, man. Yeah. We cut over to the ready room where Pike and Uhura are talking, both as colleagues and also as, as friends. Pike's trying to get to the core of what's going on with someone who is really important to him in both ways. And when Kirk walks in, he is able to report on what happened when he gave Uhura's file to his own chief medical officer on the Farragut. And what he's able to report in this scene is that the saboteur's condition began a lot like Uhura's current condition is now. Right. Seeing things that weren't there. And that feels ominous. They got to go talk to Ramon right away in Six Bay. And Mbenga's there to describe his brain damage as pretty extensive. Yeah. Doesn't seem like Ramon is going to come back from this situation. Mbenga's had a couple of episodes to give really bad news, bad brain news specifically to people. Uh huh. And he does not sugarcoat that shit. No. He does it in front of you, he does it at you. And <laughs> he he's not extremely optimistic about a quality of life here going forward. He says like, uh, yeah, we might want to get a beeping chair ready just in case. <laughs> oh, what they shouldn't have done is leave the sharp objects near a patient with brain damage, right? Right. Because once Ramon gets all stabby, it's so crazy that Uhura isn't even sure that this is real, but... yeah. This is not a dream. Ramon could have killed with that sharp thing. (laughs) That's it. That's the last one. That's the last one? Yeah, that's all I got. (laughs) Okay. But Jim Kirk kind of like grabs her by the lapels and like snaps her out of it. And I think unfortunately invites her along with him to go try to stop Ramon out in those halls. Yeah. Pike and a red shirt are in pursuit. And I sort of wondered, like, when the lights kicked off, if they were hallucinating. Like, there's this episode yeah. does such a good job of, like, not ever kind of showing its hand about what's going on before the drama of that has been used up. So totally. it turns out that that's because Ramon is a saboteur and he has thrown more sabots into more systems. But, um, yeah, they find uh, somebody dead outside the ass lab, and Uhura 
hears this sound again and she's like running around with a gun and Kirk and I was like ah, I don't think you arm Uhura at this point when she is like as unsure about what is and isn't real like and, and self-professed like she knows that she isn't totally gripping reality right now. La'an's absence was so felt right up until the moment that she appears like why isn't she around for this? Yeah. Immediately. Why didn't someone call her immediately? Maybe they did. Did they? Uh, Cut that if they did. I'm sure they did. How about new? Laan has no poker face when she bumps into Kirk. Yeah. Yeah, I like this moment. Seeing him is really intense for her. And if you're Kirk, though, do you feel like a lot of women look at you this way <laughs> to the extent that you're used to it, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Like, I know you and I will never know this, but like to be looked at like that for someone who looks like yeah. Jim Kirk. Yeah. It's got to just be the way people look <laughs> at you. <laughs> we need to score a lot of black fast. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows 
referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? Uhura has been separated from the group with her gun. And she, of course, finds the panel that Ramon the saboteur opened up to go into the nacelle. And it's covered with blood. And she radios up that she knows where he is. And they're like, okay, just stay where you are. We'll come get you. But no, she goes up the the tube. And fuck, man. <laughs> this confrontation with Ramon and the way it ends is fucked up. Yeah, it was really exciting to me. I mean, Uhura, in her moment of crisis, like trying to explain crazy to crazy from crazy was a sort of like character math that I really appreciated in that moment. That it never worked wasn't a surprise, but the way it didn't work really was. Because when Ramon jumps to that other panel and right at the moment that Kirk jumps in to emergency transport them away, right on through to the Ramon suck out. I love scale in Star Trek and I love every scene that depicts it. Like for him to be pulled out of that nacelle and for the ship to kind of come into frame yeah. as he freezes out there, like so great. Like 
one of my favorite sequences on this show, I think, is that. It was like as magical a moment as in First Contact when they take a walk on the bottom of the saucer section. Yeah, yeah. So great. Yeah, it's amazing. I was consumed with jealousy also. Yeah, we see a lot of people blown out of holes into space this episode. It's like we're not even here, you know? A lot of people live in the dream. <laughs> so you got to believe that they send a shuttle out for the birdie. Or do you think a tractor beam is too strong for a frozen body? I bet it is. Oh, like it would it would like come apart in the I bet you just turn that body into shave ice with a tractor beam. There's just nothing <laughs> nothing but mist after that. What flavor snow cone you want? Ramon. Well, whatever red is, clearly. <laughs> in six bay, that one crew person they saw lying in the hall, RSVP them. Yeah. And Uhura has to be confined to quarters, which is yeah. the most sensible thing anyone has said Finally. this entire episode. Yeah. That's because they don't have any answers here. Like, they've got a lot of evidence of something unusual happening, but there's no answer to the question why. And, I mean, two scenes this episode where Pike really demonstrates a tremendous bedside manner. You're not crazy. You could argue he's got a better bedside manner than Mbenga, really. Yeah. Because he's great with Ahura. He really is. And Ahura is cracking because she doesn't want to become like Ramon. And like she's on the path to Ramon. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of time, basically, because he started a couple of days before she did. Pike's like, I'm going to go look at Ramon's private medical logs because now that he's dead, I'm allowed. Yeah. There's a scene where Kirk gets unexpectedly vulnerable with La'an. Interestingly, as much or more air is given to the relationship between La'an and Jim Kirk as is given to the relationship between Spock and Nurse Chapel in this episode. Hmm. Interesting observation. The tension in this scene that I felt was about how much emotion they were trying to squeeze into a very small scene, right? This was like, La'an putting the headphones on Jim Kirk's head and playing the Harry Chapin song (laughs) and them experiencing a great emotional moment between them in a very efficient amount of time. Like La'an gets him to convey this feeling he's had. Hey, if my dad chose helping total strangers over me, it must be important. It's so weird to hear him say this to her instead of Sam. Right. You know? Right. And also he wants to have a drink with her because (laughs) that's Jim Kirk. He ends this extremely intense, meet cute adjacent scene with asking for a date. And uh, over on the array, Commander Pelia Biden is trying to suss out where the beef is with Una Chin Riley. That is malarkey and you know it. It's clear that there are two problems occurring simultaneously, the problems with the station and their relationship. Yeah, and I kept wondering, like, the scene where Pike and the security guy were running down the dark hallway, is this tension related to the thing that's causing Ramon and Uhura's hallucinations, you know? Like, is something affecting all of them? Like, is that why Pelia has smoke with Una? 
And it's not. Do you think the episode wants you to think that or it's a mistake to have that creep? Oh, I think it's very effective for the episode to have us think that because, yeah, you're thinking about Gorns, you're thinking about Nebulars. Like, I mean, we're in the middle of watching a lot of Voyager over on our other hit Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation. And Voyager has an almost comical number of Nebulars that are actually a thing that is alive and, you know, either wants to eat them or is tricking their brains or whatever. So... Nebular proximity was on my mind and like, why would it only be affecting one or two people? I mean, it's a thing that's happened this season to the ship, their proximity to a thing that makes people act nutty. So there's a stitch of dialogue at the end of this scene that kind of got me off the level, though, of maybe the through line of Pelia's main gripe. And that is when Una maybe accused her of sandbagging her own career, given her lifetimes of experience. My mind was totally obsessed with like, why is that? (laughs) And I stopped thinking about Pelia and her relationship to other people. Yeah. And I maintained total focus on that. It made me think that there may be a comeuppance moment for that in a later episode, because I think what they are starting to do with Pelia is describe a character that is not ambitious in the same way because she doesn't have to be. Yeah. Like her enjoyment of life does not come from getting the most done over the course of a lifetime because her lifetime doesn't have that constraint on it. Why would I ever want to be a manager if that meant becoming like you, you know? (laughs) Right. I don't mean you, but like that's the feeling that a lot of people who work in businesses have. Yeah. So, yeah. Jim Kirk and Uhura are working on the personal logs of Ramon. Were you surprised by this? I thought Pike meant just he was allowed (laughs) to look at these. Yeah, I don't know why Kirk and Uhura are the ones that get selected for this. Yeah. But this is when she realizes how close she might be to totally snapping. And she gets about as vulnerable with Jim Kirk in this scene as he did with Laon a couple scenes earlier. She talks about the shuttle crash that claimed her family and the way she's been feeling since the death of Hammer. And he sets up this kind of mental framework for thinking about this as we do a job that puts us athwart death all the time and we've got to not let death win. And uh, you might think that fighting death is a no-win scenario, but I don't believe in that kind of shit. I don't like to lose. Jim Kirk is really eloquent when he talks about death for being someone who has living parents. I think this is both a great scene for Celia Rose Gooding and Paul Wesley. Like, they are really on a great wavelength in this scene together, talking about some really heavy shit. And when Kirk tries to lighten the mood with the cookies and stuff, it made me want to ask you, no bits on sick? (laughs) Because I feel like bits on sick is probably most welcome, but maybe it's like when it's not mental stuff. Maybe. I mean, 
I suffer from mental health things all the time, and yeah, rookies you know often feel like they're helping, you know? And if I were in bad shape, I would want bits done on me yeah. also. So, yeah, maybe maybe Ahura is just a no bits on Ahura mm-hmm. type. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She's an antibit. Yeah. I don't need a cookie. Okay, now you sound crazy. <sighs> I mean, these are real cookies, Adam. They're not just made out of the matter recombinator or whatever. These are going to make you shit pretty much immediately. <laughs> How'd you like to take one last really great shit before you lose your mind completely? <laughs> and on a high note, yeah. as it were. Have them find you on a turlet. Uh-huh. Still know that cookie? The greatest trick is yet to come. So that leaves Ahura alone when he goes on his cookie run to watch videos of her and Hammer. Yeah. But watching the video does another thing besides, you know, comfort her with nostalgia, and that's give her an epiphany about burning out the receiver. Yeah. She, like, runs down the hallway to find Kirk, and then they're up on the bridge talking to Pike about this. This shit that she has been getting hallucinations from is a message from an invisible alien that lives in the deuterium of the nebula. And the visions are its vocabulary. Exactly. The bones are the skeleton's money. In our world, bones equal dollars. Adam, it's a metaphor. Metaphor. It really is. But crucially, it is all metaphor using Ahura's lived-in experiences. Right. So, like, dead Hammer is like, hey, like, you're killing my coworker, And dead crew people is like, hey, you're killing my crew. They're begging to not be killed. And the entrepreneur opening up those Bassard collectors and the refinery are causing harm to these aliens. And she gets this word up to the bridge like, hey, you got to turn off that refinery. You got to shut it down. The order is given, but the refinery is jammed in the on position. They can't get it turned off. And so with the refinery kicked into high gear, Uhura gets a final, much more intense version of the meadow with the smoke in it hallucination. Yeah. It's the shuttle where her parents died and she gets to go up in it. I'm glad they didn't show bodies, right? Yeah, I thought that was just tasteful. Or bodies thrown from a shuttle. Right. Like, this could have gone a lot of areas that I think would have been gross in that kind of way. But that the camera stays with Ahura and her reaction, I think, is really effective. Also as effective is Ahura's orders, basically. She takes command of the ship almost. (laughs) Basically, yeah. Since they can't shut down the station, she tells Pike they've got to destroy the station. It's the only way to be sure. Fucking A. Zombie Hemmer is giving, like, Donnie Darko Bunny standing around on the bridge while this all goes down. Did you get a kind of Stranger Things music motif playing here during the scene specifically? Oh. I didn't pick up on that, but it's also been a long time since I've watched an episode of Stranger Things, so I might just not have the music in my head. I I wondered if that was intentional or not, or if it was a projection, but yeah, creepy moment. And you're so right about the Donnie Darko bunny ears thing. 
with Hemmer's antenna. How about Pike throwing the amount of trust to Uhura as he does? Like a massive piece of Starfleet materiel absolutely demolished on her say-so. Her shooted is pretty great. <laughs> Very good. Right? That's in the conversation with Chicote's fire. Yeah. Fire torpedoes! What a moment. Torpedoes away. And this thing blows big. Real big. Yeah. It's a good thing they evacuated the station. Did that work? Yeah. And all those fuel pods too, right? I don't know how these aliens work, but the like completely devastating massive explosion right next to the nebula they live in. It seems to be good. <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing. Like it's what they wanted. If they wanted something different, they should have been more specific. <laughs> so, uh we get non-ghoul hammer for a minute and he fades out without even saying goodbye and uh all is well. Yeah. Day saved. Yeah. Uhura does not lose her mind. Uhura is made to finish out the shift at her station and then go to bed, <laughs> which kind of felt like the wrong order to me. Rules is rules, you know? Yeah. I guess she has to be working a shift to have given the order to fire on a station with a fairly high dollar value, right? <laughs> they can bill me. Like if she weren't on the clock, I think this is a far worse look. Like right. Pike talks about making it his responsibility, but he still has to kind of describe the scene and write it up. Oh, yeah. No, it gets much, much more complicated <laughs> when it's like officer involved starship attack, yeah. but the officer was off duty and like yeah. the unregistered starship that she used to fire the torpedoes. Ooh. Real messy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we got to explore a little bit further into whence the smoke between Una and Pelia. And the scene is, uh, they're like in a shuttle headed back to the ship, right? Yeah. 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 One of the fleet. <laughs> initially it's like, oh yeah, because you gave me a bad grade in starship maintenance class back at the academy. And it's like, no, it's the same thing that was eating Uhura before. Like, I'm in the job that Hemmer used to have and you're still feeling sad about Hemmer. And that's a thing. Like, man, I thought this was such an interesting series of sequences about characters adapting to Pelia being aboard the ship because we are past the halfway mark in the season now. And I feel like earlier iterations of Star Trek would have put a scene like this or a couple of scenes like this or an entire episode like this as like episode one or two of a new season, not episode six of 10. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like it this way though. Like I like that there's been tension building and it's just been happening in the background and there's a little bit more catharsis to these conversations now than there would have been if it was just like, hey, I'm new here and you've got to be cool with it. And I know why you're not, but here's why you got to just drop that and be cool now. It's interesting how Strange New Worlds was like the promise of it was supposed to be a return to non-serialized storytelling. Yeah. But the emotions and the tensions are the thing that is. Right. Yeah, each week it's a new adventure and you don't really need to have seen the previous week to get it, but also the characters are actually going through all the things and not just being shaken like an Etch-A-Sketch at the end of every episode. You could argue the greatest adventure 
is having a relationship with other people. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) I really saw myself in Pelia. She's someone who knows what it's like to disappoint people with your very presence. (laughs) To make them uncomfortable. Yeah. By being around. I see you, Pelia. (laughs) We end in the bar. Where it is confirmed, Ben, real instruments are being played by real Starfleet music nerds there. Mm-hmm. I had wondered because it, it sounded like live piano in an earlier scene in that bar. I was like, God, it sounds nice in there. <laughs> yeah. It's a real chill hang over here on this ship that just uh, lost in a cell and took a shot at a huge piece of Starfleet infrastructure and blew it up. At the table, Ahura... And Kirk are sharing one of the rare moments not spent in the bathroom after eating a real cookie. (laughs) Do you just take it for granted that a cookie will make you poop? If it's real and no one's used to eating non-synthesized food of any kind, I absolutely believe that. Synthesized food is, is meant to be easy on the tome, right? Has to be. I guess. That's like astronaut food. I don't think cookies are that... Violent a food. <laughs> if you're not used to real sugar, mm. I think so. Well, Kirk and Uhura have formed a very cool, non-horny bond, I would say. You can't be horny when you're looking at pictures of dead parents, right? Right. That's yeah. That's not going to work. Even Jim Kirk's erection can't tear through a real photograph. <laughs> <laughs> Sam tries to get in a little dig before we go, and then um, we get a little coda of Spock meeting James T. Kirk for the first time. And it's Spock, Uhura, and Kirk hanging out at a table on the Enterprise. I like how this shot isn't just a close-up on a handshake and music swelling into a crescendo, you know, to emphasize how important this is. I like that it's done visually with that, like that cutting back and forth across the line. Yeah. Putting Ahura in the middle of it and then doing that cut across. And then we're just kind of pulling back through the bar. And the reason I like the pullback is to show, like, this is a significant moment to a Star Trek viewer. But in the world that's happening all around them, these are just two people meeting for the first time. And like, Star Trek life is happening. Right. All around them. Star Trek is a place. Star Trek is a place. And this is that moment that maybe most clearly articulates that the most recently. Yeah. It was a really cool way to end the episode. Yeah. But did you like this episode, Adam? I think we've gone character to character this season, right? Like centralizing one of the bridge crew. And this was Uhura's time, and I thought it was a great Uhura storyline. I would rather not see her suffer, like... (laughs) Yeah. Especially mentally, there's something so acute about watching mental degradation happen. You don't like that. Yeah. And I didn't like the speed with which it was happening, but one of the things you and I have heard from a number of actors on this show completely unprompted is like Celia Rose Gooding is my favorite actor on the show. Like other actors have said that they're like, she fucking kills. Yeah. 
And this was an episode that showed her work through all of the gears of her abilities. It was great to get that kind of focus on her for the full hour. And I also loved the return of Bruce Horak. And I think you and I had predicted an actual comeback for him. A, yeah. A rise from the dead and not just as a zombie, but like as, <laughs> as a full-on comeback. Yeah. If this is all we get of him... And if maybe he returns from time to time in YouTube videos when Uhura is doing work, I think I can accept that. But I really do miss his whole deal, and it was really great to see him again. So, yeah, good episode by and large for me. What about you? I really feel the same. It was nice to see Bruce Horak, and I was, like, walking around my kitchen making myself lunch today after watching the episode, and I was like, damn, did they bring Bruce Horak and he had no lines? Because I was just thinking about that moment where he like fades back to non-zombie yeah. hammer and then disappears. And then I was like, oh, no, of course, he had lines in the YouTube video, but he didn't like ever say anything yeah. in the rest of the episode. Like all his lines were about like techno babble, which is kind of an interesting choice. Like when a character has that much emotional weight to bring them back, to have them have an opportunity to say something else, especially in scenes that are as emotionally fraught as these ones are. It is such an interesting bit of writing restraint to decide not to take advantage of that. So I really liked the episode. And yeah, I think it's a good Uhura episode, but it also does a great job of keeping the ensemble really involved and like everybody gets an interesting moment or two in this app. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, do you agree to a proposal of mine to go to the spreadsheet where we keep the priority one messages and see if there's anything in there? Yeah. I mean, when you put it that way. (laughs) Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, we have a personal Priority One message here. It's from yourself, also known as Lieutenant Junior Grade Taylor Crabiel. And it is to myself, Lieutenant Taylor Crabiel. Goes like this. Congrats, self, on the promotion to Lieutenant. <laughs> to celebrate, we will keep with our wedding down tradition of buying a P1 on the podcast that helped us find the Noah Corps. Also, you are doing a great job as the ops officer on the NOAA ship Fairweather, sailing and surveying the waters of Alaska. Thank you, Ben and Adam, for helping me find a real-life Star Trek career. That's Taylor Kay, who uh, sent us NOAA shirts and sunglasses and uh, challenge coins recently. Yeah, NOAA went to the Fairweather gift shop, loaded up. Taylor went there. Oh, shit. Not everybody in NOAA is named NOAA, Adam. (laughs) Some of them are named Taylor. Thanks, Taylor. Sorry, Taylor. We got a pronunciation guide on Noah, but not on Crabiel. I hope I'm doing justice to Taylor's last name. I think you got it right. You got it better than I got his first name, (laughs) which I said is a completely different name. (laughs) It's Noah spelled (laughs) T-A-Y. We got some stuff from the NOAA ship Fairweather uh, on a recent Code 47, which I think will be viewable on YouTube by the time this episode comes out, right? I think so. Yeah. 
Ben, I think we could consider Taylor a fairweather FOD, <laughs> wouldn't you say? Mm, but in a good way. Right. Well, thanks to uh, Taylor for getting a P1. If you'd like to get a priority one message on the show, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set one up today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I'm giving it to James T. Kirk for meeting Uhura and immediately putting the moves on. <laughs> mm. I think that uh, not everything is a hit, Adam, but this was a hit. I'm going to make Sam Kirk my Edward Larkin here, but kind of an emotional Larkin to me. Kind of chaotic emotionally. And when we see the inside of his Xeno anthropology office... I think they held back a little bit on how messy that could have been. Mm -hmm. Like, to sort of prove Spock's point about him. Right. It has all of the tchotchkes of, like, a neat place where science is done with, like, all the little skeletons and so forth. But if it was just, (laughs) like, piled high with, like, a bunch of shit. Uh Like a hairy mud mad scientist laboratory? Yeah, I would enjoy that quite a bit. I mean, that's not the reason he's my Edward Larkin, because if it were that messy, I think that would have helped. It's funny, like, Sam is the older of the two brothers. Yeah. And he really is uh, giving jealous younger brother energy pretty much Mm -hmm. the whole time, though, which feels unusual to me, if that's what's happening. I would like to meet their dad, though, and I hope that someday happens on this show. Yeah. Do you think they can afford their dad? (laughs) Like, find a Hemsworth, (laughs) cast him, (laughs) make him the dad. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, Sam Kirk, Edward Larkin. Good Larkin, Adam. All right, we got one last segment before we go. And it's the warning boise section of the podcast in which we call out uh, nice things that folks have said about our show on social media that uh, would serve as a, an invitation to the right kind of person to uh, perhaps sample what we've got. And a warning to the wrong kind of person sure. to stay away. We're not for you. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning boys. An emergency buoy. The warning boy. The warning boy that I've, I've selected today is from Tryhard3000. They just send a message to the at greatest trek at friendsofdesoto.social account on Mastodon. What is Ben's general so recipe? Because I uh, talked about making some general so's chicken homemade recently on the podcast. I do not have a go-to recipe for general so's chicken. I really enjoy General So's chicken. I know it's not authentic Chinese food. I know that the first restaurant to open in China to attempt to put the Chinese culinary consumer onto the existence of this delicacy of American Chinese food immediately had to close because this is not a palatable dish if you grew up in China, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I learned that from that documentary. You probably saw the documentary, right? 
I did not see the documentary. There's a I've... full-on documentary about figuring out the deal with General Tso's chicken. It's called The Search for General Tso. It oh, came man. out 10 years ago. It's great. I got to watch it. I, I read the yeah. Wikipedia article a while yeah. ago, and it's a long and weird tale. But my go-to recipe is literally just whatever comes up first on Google search. I will say that the thing that has made the difference for me is picking a recipe that calls for, and I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation of this, Shaoxing wine, which is like the type of cooking wine that uh, a lot of Chinese cuisine uses and is pretty easy to find at like a Asian grocery store. Um, I, I think that that is the thing that separates the very homemade tasting general shows that I've made to the more like this tastes like what it tastes like in a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Like having a little of that cooking wine in your sauce really seems to make a huge difference. So that's the only hot tip I have on General So's chicken. <laughs> My hot tip for General So's chicken is to just order it out. <laughs> it's hard to find on the West Coast. It's one of those dishes that is just like, it's so good when you get it. Yeah. And so often disappointing when you try to make it. Yeah, that's true. It's just weird, like that, like no Chinese restaurant in delivery radius of my house makes it. And it's staggering to me because I lived in New York for 15 years and you're basically not allowed to have a Chinese restaurant in New York if you don't have General So's on the menu. One of my best friends who I left up in Seattle, Phil, and I have a favorite pho restaurant that also has General So's on the menu. <laughs> and whenever I visit Seattle, we'll go to this pho restaurant. We'll get two big bowls of pho and then General So's for the table, like in the middle. That's what's up. And it is a kingly feast. That's great. It shouldn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sicker than a hurrah after eating a real cookie <laughs> after a meal like that, but I'll do it every time. Fun. Well, if you'd like to get your words read out loud by us on the show, post about the show on social media or leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts. These things really help us get the word out about the show and help bring new listeners into the fold. Yeah, they really do good work for us and we appreciate them. Thanks. And if you do like video posts on one of those more video-oriented social media apps... Consider talking about how much you like the show on, on one of those. Wow. Maybe we'll play the audio of your video. Oh, I like that. The way we've occasionally played drops and stuff. Yeah. On our hit Star Trek podcast, Greatest Gen. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, we're going to throw the keys to the pod car over to Wendy. She'll tell you about next week's episode if we have any information to tell. I hope we do. Thanks, Wendy. Bye-bye. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next week, we'll be back with a review of Season 2, Episode 7 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. It's called Those Old Scientists. In the meantime, don't forget you can show your support for the writers and actors on strike by donating at entertainmentcommunity.org. All of the original music for this show is composed by Adam Ragusea. He has a podcast and a YouTube cooking channel that you can find by searching for Adam Ragusea. Thanks to Nick Ditmore for creating the show art and Bill Tilly for managing the At Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Mastodon. Follow those accounts and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. 
Max Fund members are making the podcast possible with their monthly support at MaximumFund.org slash join. You can become a member and get access to all of the network's bonus content along with all of our gratitude. We really appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network. Of artists-owned shows. Supported directly by you.